Welcome to Craft Advice, a podcast to help investors tackle the more complex area of their personal and business finances. Join Jack and Sean as we discuss everything from investing to retirement and everything in between. You got a winner for the Super Bowl you're thinking about? Uh, I mean, I think, I think you know, it's 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 a battle of your head versus your heart, right? I mean, it's the head, the logic is the Rams because home turf. I mean, they're st- they're stacked at every position. Home turf is iffy in LA. They're not, you know, they don't carry a huge home field advantage there, but but it is their field, and it is something that they're more familiar with the environment and all that. Blah blah blah. <clears throat> but I would definitely I think, say that uh, the heart is uh, wanting the Bengals to win. I think they're following the Bucks. They're going to do yeah. a win at home for the Super Bowl, and then when that's never I happened in that. history, and then it happens two years in a row. So there we go. <laughs> that's that's probably that's the most likely outcome. I'll say that that's definitely the most likely outcome. Uh, but Joe Burrow and the uh, and the boys and those rose tinted glasses he likes to wear. Those are. The rose tinted glasses and the cigar. <laughs> that man's legit. Fucking good. That guy cracks me up, man. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Craft Advice with Jack and Sean. This week, we're going to chat a little more on in, inflation. There's a lot of stuff going on in the news with that. We're going to, we tease the Super Bowl stuff. We're going to talk about kind of the investing side behind sports betting with the Super Bowl this past weekend. Um, even though we're recording this on Friday, we have no idea who won, but this will drop on Monday. But let's start with a beer, Sean. I'm drinking Luau from Terrapin. This is the last beer in my craft pack, and then I got to go buy more. This is a guava IPA. Tasty stuff. Oh, guava. Guavas just sound so uh, exotic. If you told me to point out where (laughs) guava came from, like in a grocery store, like find guava. I'd be like, I have no fucking idea. I have no clue what it even looks like. I have no clue what it even looks like. But uh, it's exciting, though. But anyway, so yeah, I've got another uh, Southern Swells double IPA here. Sobering thought. Um, like inflation? Lovely little local guys. Sobering <laughs> thought, like what's going on with inflation right now and the market and all my money going down the yeah, tube. To losing money. Cheers. It's a sobering thought. Cheers. All right, let's start. <sighs> I'm going to start with a headline. All right. So throw it out there. This is actually from yesterday. NASDAQ drops mm-hmm. 2% after Fed's Jim Bullard says he favors aggressive rate hikes after inflation data. So for anyone that's a moron and not paying attention, prices are going up. <laughs> hey, you morons yeah. out there. <laughs> it, it's true. But if, if you're not paying attention, costs are going up across the board. The cost for groceries, the cost for your house, property taxes, everything. Everything. Everything is going up. And part of it, I'm still in the camp that whenever all this COVID stuff is done and everyone gets back to you know, you get all the truckers in Canada to go back to driving instead of blocking roads. <laughs> Once you open those, you know, those pathways and you let the F-150s off the airstrip, you're probably going to see this stuff subside. But every inflation metric that's getting a print last probably three weeks, and that's why the market's tanking, they're all way above where everyone's been expecting. So yep. starting to see some scary, scary inflation stuff. Yeah, I mean, like we've talked about it before. I mean, this it's not just inflation. It's inflation. It's earnings. Like it's the, the market behaves based on expectations, right? If expectations are inflation is going to be this number and then it comes in above this number by a healthy margin, that's when people get scared. It's a little bit of a gut punch, right? I mean, so they were expecting 
something just slightly over seven, and we got seven and a half percent. So I mean, it was a it was a substantial difference, um, and everybody was was fairly shocked. I mean, I know the Fed was hoping that we were going to see, ideally, they wanted to see a slight decline or a flattening out, you know, kind of a, a topping of the inflation, kind of a matching of the previous month, uh, not an acceleration. So they were obviously very disappointed and and why you saw some of the more vocal uh, members of the Fed come out and say, you know, we we have to be more aggressive. We have to, instead of maybe quarter point increases, uh, we might have to be looking at half a percent increases. Um, And and that's really going to be important here in terms of how the market digests this and what kind of impact it has on the economy. Um, You know, it's not just the fact that they're raising rates, it's, how much are they raising them by and what's the speed at which they raise them, right? They're going to meet seven times over this year. Are they going to raise rates all seven like uh, Bank of America believes? Are they going to raise, raise them, you know, five out of seven, which is right now that seems like the general consensus. Um, some of the more optimistic views are that they're looking at more likely three to four. Um, and then also, again, quarter point versus a half a percent. That's a that's a big difference. And all of that really matters, and that's going to impact what what uh, the end result is for the market. I got an interesting kind of ancillary statistic, but the other thing that was recently printed was the uh, consumer sentiment. So it's basically just looking at if yep. you pull a bunch of random households and you try to figure out how, I guess, comfortable do they feel with their personal finances, with overall businesses, yep. Typically, when this is doing well and going up in, uh, you know, sequentially, quarter over quarter, month over month, you tend to see the markets go up. We got the lowest consumer price or the consumer sentiment indication since 2011. That was for mm. all you Jeopardy fans at home. 2011 was the the first time we hit the debt ceiling. I mean, even though we do it every year, that was like the major time it really got a lot of headlines. So yep, yep. we're starting to see a lot of the indicators that show people don't have confidence in the economy. They don't have confidence in the stock market. Granted, it's already kind of hindsight biased. The market's already fallen. Yeah. But it's a little sketchy. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, uh, it's, it's, uh, it is going to be challenging times, right? We've had an environment where, you know, obviously we had a big, big, big sell-off when COVID first struck. Um, but you know, if you, if you didn't panic, you obviously made out and then some, and it's really been smooth sailing from there because there's been so much money pumped into the economy. And, uh, it's, it's really given a big tailwind to equities more specifically, but obviously now there, that that is getting, uh, that spigot's getting turned off. It's going to become a lot more of a challenging market to do well in. And, uh, the meme bros might have to, uh, take a break for a bit. Yeah hold on to some of those gains, maybe go to cash for a little while. The big thing though, so if you think about an inflationary environment where costs are going up, you know, the question that most investors have, well, how do I invest when this is going on? You don't want to just go to cash. That's obviously the worst thing you want to do because then as costs are going up, the value of your savings is not going with it. You don't want to go to bonds because you're having an interest rate that's not going to be even at these rates, keeping up with it. So Typically, this is where people stress you want to own real assets. This is why house prices tend to be a good place for inflation. So real estate's a good investment. The stock market yep. is a good place. You want to own 
businesses that have cash flows that are growing, you maybe not want to have these crazy tech stocks that have no earnings. So maybe mm -hmm. some diversification there. This is what crypto is trying to do. You know, it's going to be seen in a rising environment. Does crypto actually hold you off? You got to have those different building blocks in there if you really want to get things growing in the right time here. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, um, one thing I would point out is that the, uh, the equity markets did not take it very well, but it did seem like the, the digital markets, right? I mean, crypto held up pretty well um, versus the previous, you know, few months here where we've seen equity sell off big and crypto sell off two to three X more than equities. Um, they basically during trading hours yesterday, when the market sold off big crypto was actually positive. Um, and most of the equities that are in that crypto space were either positive to slightly flat. Um, so it seems like that market may uh, be starting to decouple and stand alone. Um, it's a little early to say that completely, but it seems that that is starting to happen to a degree. Uh, but yeah, so uh, next topic here, I know we wanted to talk a little bit about sports betting in, uh, in favor of uh, obviously the Super Bowl here. So in honor of the Super Bowl, Jack, I know we already gave our picks here, but let's uh, let's roll into the space of sports betting. You know, uh, you know, I know there's a few good names out there we've been talking about you and I. Um, but what are your thoughts on some of those uh, some of those names out there? Well, I guess the reason I wanted to bring this up is this is if you're watching the news, whatever day it might be, Thursday or Friday, mm -hmm. Saturday, Sunday, you're going to see ads for DraftKings. You're going to see MGM, Caesars. We've all seen all of the commercials for sports betting. Most all of these are publicly traded companies, and a lot of them have just gotten kneecapped over the past however many years. Yep. That said, events like the Super Bowl, not really the Olympics, because I don't know if the following is as intense, but when you get these big mainstream events like the Super Bowl, this is where you typically start to see the peak usage of these platforms and so <clears throat> with the super bowl this weekend i know we threw it out we were kind of just a jar at least throwing some ideas around of what we want to look to maybe invest in an inflationary environment if you wanted to look at sports betting and say hey how do i invest in this area that's where you kind of have to start to evaluate companies in that space so i've seen the DraftKings ceo probably four times on tv since nine o'clock this morning, you know, the stock's up four and a half percent because I'm assuming everyone's getting their, their investment bets uh, all loaded <laughs> up. But it's an interesting area that kind of boomer bust. I don't think it's really my preference for investing, but for those people that are interested in kind of the betting industry, this is where you're going to start to see some movement in these stocks is when there's a big catalyst event like the Super Bowl. And uh, just for everybody out there, um, if you know who Mattress Mac is, looks like he just placed a $5 million wager on the Bengals. Who the hell is Mattress Mac? I don't Come I don't on, know. I'm sorry. Jack. Come on, come on. Damn it. No, this guy, uh, so remember when the Astros won the World Series some years back? Yeah. Um, not the one they cheated, the other one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Call your shots. But, uh, Call your shots. So this, uh, so this guy is a, a Houston native. And a um, very, very, very successful businessman owns, you know, a, a large regional chain of mattress stores, and they call him Mattress Mac. He's very charitable, gives away a lot of money, gives away a lot of, you know, 
mattresses and beds to homeless shelters and, you know, people of need, et cetera, et cetera. Super nice guy, uh, but he's a, an avid gambler. Um, he's placed some really crazy bets, big bets. He went hard with the Astros back in the day when they first started climbing, went after him again. Um, he's won big, he's lost big, but he always makes everything very public. So it's pretty cool to follow him. Uh, but yeah, he's, he just put $5 million on the Bengals. So just throwing that wow. out there. But yeah, no, uh, the, the gambling space has, it, it's like it's, Going from the legacy side, right, the NGMs, the Caesars of the world, to now the DraftKings, the Penn National Gaming, right, Barstool Sports, um, their their uh, partner there. So it's it's definitely going through that transition and providing people of our generation and younger a more uh, you know a, a more modern avenue to uh, to invest in, right. So a lot of people have DraftKings accounts or, uh, you know, they, again, they just gamble online for what, you know, whatever platform they use, but they understand it and they know the demands there. And, you know, it's that old adage, uh, invest in what you know. And if you know this and you know that the appetite is there and it's not going anywhere and uh, it's going to continue to grow bigger as sports to your point earlier, right? COVID still is not fully worked its way through the system. Sports will continue to get better and better. Audiences will continue to return as things start to normalize over the next year plus. Um, and I think that will continue to be a very good tailwind for a lot of these online gaming and uh, just betting companies. I have a question for you. Yeah. So Robinhood stock has basically just been obliterated. Mostly oh, yeah. it was riding sky high as <laughs> basically as it went public and that was about the extent of it. Now it's just kind of just completely flatlined. Yep. What do you think? Like how oh, many trading at 13, how many people that were using Robinhood and using the stock market, you know, just YOLOing options, you know, take 500 bucks and YOLO it on this option, kind of like they do a sports bet. How many of their users do you think have said, you know, enough is enough. I'm getting back to my bread and butter. I'm getting back to the sports betting. And now they're moving over to their DraftKings account. You think it's meaningful? Really funny. No, I, I do actually. I do. I absolutely do. I think a lot of the demographic that was trading within uh, Robinhood is the exact same demographic that is like, okay, hey, the, the playoffs are on, Super Bowl's here, the stock market sucks right now. I'm not going to keep dumping money down the drain in the stock market, which you know they may, they may not have fully understood, uh, and they're basically just rolling right into like, all right, well, I'm going to waste this money on on gambling. Yeah. No, there was it was. It's funny you say that because. Uh, the right holes guys. Um, so I was listening to them the other day and they were saying the same thing. They're like, their demographic is DraftKings. So Robin Hood is sucking. DraftKings is going to do a lot better because they're basically going from one to the other. That's their, that's their demo. Yeah. I mean, it's, if you think about it at the end of the day, it's like, so theoretically in like 2020 when COVID happened, you know, yep. if you went on Robin Hood and took a couple hundred bucks and threw an options contract and just said something's going to go up. You could easily two, three, five, ten x whatever you were invested in, which is the exact same thing. I've been to Kentucky. I've been to the horse races. You know, you've been to Vegas. You've mm -hmm. been to casinos. It's, mm -hmm. You know, you throw your twenty five, fifty, a hundred dollar bet, and it flips, and you make a grand. I kind of think Robinhood needs to have some reason to entertain all of its kind of user base, and if not, oh, yeah. they're going to start rolling over to something like like DraftKings and. MGM, Caesars, they all have digital sports books now. They're all trying to get in your pocket. So, you know, the addiction, you know, the 
heroin yeah. needle in your arm is just anytime you hit the button. The, the game of gamification. Exactly. Gamification. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you look at Robinhood. I mean, it's down close to 80% from its peak. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible. The, uh, like you said, I mean, it came out in July last year, shot up over the course of a few weeks, and then it's just been a slow bleed out and grind downhill since then. Pretty wild to yeah. see, especially with uh, how much early success they had. All right. But, uh, all right, yeah, let's move into uh, buy, sell, hold. I want to start, so, uh, start with this. Yeah, yeah, kick it off. So we're going to go back through some of the stock picks we kind of threw around and some of the ideas. I've, I've mentioned Peloton so many times. They've been murdered. You've had two big things come up in the last couple of months. This company has continued to get just crushed into obliteration. The oh, my yeah. favorite saying: the universe is slowly crushing it into a diamond. Good oh, one, God. but <laughs> it's slowly crushing. I like that. So, two things. So, <laughs> I, I, we mentioned in multiple episodes: if this thing gets low enough, you're going to get people coming out of the woodwork to buy it. So, Amazon and Nike yep. are reported have looked at this. Fast forward a couple of days later. They remove the CEO. He moves to the chairman role and they bring in a new CEO that has a lot of expertise in other companies that kind of doing some of this M&A activity. He cuts all the jobs. You know, obviously he's trying to cut 2,800 probably people in retail. They don't, I don't know why they have retail stores. It seems like a waste of time at this point. But. So yeah. you're going to buy, sell, or hold this Peloton theme after all this news. Does it look like it's positive from here or are we just kind of treading water? What do you, what do you see? No, man. I, I think uh, like we've talked about, I mean, you were definitely the one that, that called it out first, but I agreed with you. And, you know, we've, we've shared it on several episodes that they were ripe for it, for a takeover. Um, they just had too much brand equity, good following. I mean, a good product. It seems like they just weren't executing, right? It seemed like it was just a, maybe they got a little too, you know, far ahead of their skis and it was just a little, you know, some, some bad decision-making if you will at the top. Um, but I think the product itself is viable. The marketplace is obviously there, maybe not as big as they originally expected it to be, but you know, at 150 where it used to trade at or a hundred or 120, you know, not, not something I want, but at like $33 a share. I mean, yeah, I think it's definitely viable right now. I mean, it, <clears throat> if you think about it, right, it bottomed out somewhere around 22, $23 a share. And it's, even though it's sold off of, little bit over the last couple of days with the with the Fed news, obviously, it's still up forty percent from its bottom. Yeah, I mean, it's had a massive little uh, run here, relatively speaking, and, and mainly that has to do with the uh, obviously the takeover and the, the CEO changes, a lot of the positives that they're trying to do. And, and I think, yeah, I mean, at, at this price, it's a uh, it's a lot more appealing. Oh, Nike. The Nike, the Nike takeover, I think, makes a ton of that sense. Was, you heard it here first, folks. That happens. That's right. That's right. Download the podcast on more players. <laughs> All right, what do you got? <laughs> oh, so I've got SoFi. So that's another – we're going to stay on the same topic. Stocks that we've thrown out there over the time and uh, ones that were bleeding specifically. Um, so SoFi was one of those that was not doing very well. Um, and then they uh, – they got the non-bank or the bank charter designation, um, which gave them a nice boost. And then they just recently got a uh, they just recently got some positive analyst recommendations that's giving them another nice boost. I mean, there's there's a lot of business lines to it. Um, 
something I like, and it's recently started to have a nice uptick. I think at this point, it's as low as it's going to get. And it, uh, it's got a lot of upside, a lot of different business lines that it's going to start taking advantage of. And if you look at where it was when it bottomed out, I mean, it's, it's up a nice, you know, 12, 15% from the recent bottoms. Um, and then I think they're going to, I think they're also going to get a little bit of extra boost from the Super Bowl, Like you said earlier, right. You get a little name recognition. People are like, Oh, SoFi stadium. What's up with that? What are your thoughts on SoFi? Jack? As I say, no news is bad news, but <laughs> the, uh, I think this is, this is a company that's trying to, it's kind of like someone going into the health insurance space and being like, Oh yeah, I'm going to go attack United health and Aetna and all these other providers. Your market opportunity is is insane. The hard part is going to be how quickly does that happen, and do they have the capital and the revenue to, you know, keep doing all their grand ambitious things. The good thing, if they can, you know, I I don't know if I could find the statistics for it, but I think if you ran, you know, like the client list at like a Bank of America or a Citigroup, and then you compared it to a SoFi, mm-hmm. you're going to have a barbell yep. of ages so you're gonna have all the young investors are with sofi or something like that mm-hmm. i think if they can continue to grow and bring revenue in you know they're only bringing in maybe a half a billion dollars in revenue right now where i don't even know what Citigroup is i don't even know who banks <laughs> with Citigroup, but you know that's a no that company brings in 72 billion dollars in yearly revenue so i mean that's their opportunity that's what they're going for it's just a matter of can they actually get their hands on those dollars? So can they execute? Yeah, I would. I think if you're gonna take a smaller position, you could buy it. If it's a larger position, that's a kind of core holding. I would probably hold at these levels to see how they tread before you add more. Mm-hmm. My thoughts. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, it's definitely a uh, it's a young company. It's a young company and it's going after some uh, some big giants there for yep. sure. We'll stick right on. Well, what do you got? What do you got next? St- sticking in kind of the bank finance area, we've talked about a firm in the past. So it's like the buy now, pay later. Ooh. Actually, when I bought my Peloton, Ooh. I used a firm because why would Sorry. I not pay zero percent and pay it over a couple of years? If if yeah. they're going to lose money on this endeavor over years, I'm not. So, <laughs> um, why not? So. For those that don't know who a firm is, it's one of those buy now, pay later companies. You go ahead and you make your purchase, you buy, you know, a mattress, you can buy furnishings for your home. So this company was basically dead in the water middle of last year. And then they announced Amazon was going to be their partner. And I think in one day, the stock went up 50% and it rode from $50 all the way up to the 165 range. And then... Actually, 176 was the all-time intraday high. Today, it's 47 bucks. It's down 20% today because, I mean, this seems like stupid news, but they're getting paid less from Amazon revenue than people thought they were going to, which, like, Amazon is the leader in, you know, your margin is my opportunity. That's Jeff Bezos' quote. Mm-hmm. So I think this space, this buy now, pay later, even when we started this podcast, we were talking about Square going after um Afterpay, which is the same company, mm-hmm. that company stock just plummeted. Where I think Square mm-hmm. said they were going to buy it for somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty-five billion. It's now eleven billion dollar company. So this whole space is just cratering. So how are you looking at the buy now, pay later? 
I mean, I, I would say it's it's one of those spaces that had to get big enough to make the economics work. And I think rates may have moved, uh, the market may have moved before they were able to reach that particular size. Um, I don't have a lot of, I don't have a lot of uh, optimism for this particular space as a whole right now. I mean, in the short term, I think, I think there's a lot more uh, downside that they're, they're going to likely see, especially as rates start to really move and quantitative tightening starts to happen, right? Because that's the other thing, right? It's not even just, it's rates are going to start going up and then you're going to also have them pulling liquidity out of the market. Uh, so it's, it's, there's a double whammy uh, effect there. And they're doing all that obviously to try to reduce inflation. But the point is, is that it's going to hurt companies like this with very thin margins uh, that rely on gimmicky financing. Um, I think this space will eventually turn into something very uh, attractive, uh, but it's not something I like anytime soon. Nice. All right. What do you got? Too much, too much risk there for me. Um, too much risk? For yeah. Sean? I mean, I would, really? Too much risk for me. I'm going straight crypto. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, on a serious note, uh, the oil space. Ooh, okay. Ooh, let's jump into some Dark oil, gold. Right, some energy. The dark or gold. black gold, I think black they call it, yeah. Black gold. There you go. Well, not in 2022, they don't call it that, Jack. So watch your mouth. Um, <laughs> the uh, the energy space. <laughs> and we're gone. The, uh, the space is obviously just exploding, especially since Q3, you know, Q2. I would say Q3 of last year through now is just, you know, obviously been on a rocket ship. Oil's gone through the roof. We're looking at $92 a barrel right now. Um, tensions are still high with Russia and Ukraine. Um, what's your take on the direction of this? And uh, from an investing standpoint, pure play, but also looking at some of the uh, ancillary companies, uh, pipelines, et cetera. So this is crazy. It's up. So the S&P 500, if you break it apart into sectors, the only positive sector on the year is energy. I think it's yep. up 20% on the year, which is crazy. That's the only reason yep. the S&P is not negative. Or yep. I think the S&P might be slightly negative, but um, this is a space I don't touch. I remember, you know, when I first got in the industry, I would try to buy and sell these little oil drilling stocks. This, you know, the hardest thing you have is if you look at the, you know, the ways we pull oil out of the ground, there's some big places in Texas, some places up in North Dakota where they just drill a whole few feet down and boom, you're loaded. Then you have shale where they have to kind of drill diagonally all over the place. Then you have people that drill over water and then you have deep water drillers that kind of go deep into the earth. Each of them has a different price point at which once oil gets to their level, they make money and they stay offline until it gets to that price. We're getting, yep. we're getting at the point where oil is getting so expensive now that you're going to see an insane amount of, People come out of the woodwork and start drilling and drive this price right back into the ground. It's just human nature. People can't keep oil prices high. They unfortunately will keep them here for a few months. Everyone will make their money. The energy stocks will surge. I saw something where I think it was Shell. They had like the same quarter last year was like three hundred million in revenue, and it was like seven billion <laughs> this quarter or something crazy. So yeah. I. 
It's, I don't like this space because I don't like the cyclicality of the prices. So I'm a seller. I think if you have profits in this myself, I would take them. Gotcha. Fair enough. Fair enough. You going? You going? I, I still I like it. I like it. I think I think there's more. I mean, it's up twenty percent on the year. I think there's more. I mean, even if you just stuck with the big legacy, the Exxon Mobiles, the Chevrons, et cetera. I mean, Exxon Mobil is up twenty over twenty five percent this yeah. year. I mean, I think there's there's more upside to this particular space. Um, you know, again, it's not. I, I agree with you though. It's not something I love to hold long. It's not something that I could just buy and forget about. Like like for example, like an Apple, right? I mean, an Apple you throw in the in your portfolio. It's like it's Apple. You throw it in there. It goes down and you buy a little more. You just kind of move on. It's it's Apple. It's the biggest company in the world. It's not going anywhere. It's not doing anything. Whereas it seems the entire world wants to eliminate oil and gas permanently. So the long-term trajectory of this space is not as appealing. But I think right now with inflation, which isn't going anywhere anytime soon, uh, and self-imposed restrictions that we're putting on this, which is crimping supply, You've got stuff going on overseas that's really going to mess with supply. So I don't know. I think there's a little bit more upside here before it uh, eventually teeters out. But I do think later in the year, the Ukraine-Russia thing goes away. It looks like there's positive uh, talks going on with uh, Iran, which could also allow for more supply. Um, you know, so, so I think we could see a scenario where more supply is allowed to the market. Things start to normalize, like you said earlier in the podcast, about just – supply chain dynamic stuff. Um, and then you could see oil prices kind of peak out mid year and then start to slowly drip down. So we'll see how that goes, but I like it for right now. So I'm going to give you a stat December of mm -hmm. 2020. I'm just pull, picking on shell here. So shell their, their net income. So their you know, you take your revenue coming in, you back out your expenses was negative $4 billion. Hmm. When was this? This was uh, December 2020. Oh, now, yeah, December yeah, 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 2021. That was the great year of the negative oil contract. Now it's 11.4 billion. And I'm sure once we get to the March Ooh. quarter, you're going to probably see them like 15 or 20 or something crazy like that. The problem is here's their, here's their quarterly, uh, here's their quarterly earnings. So their profit the last couple of quarters negative 24 million, mm -hmm. negative 18 billion. That was the negative oil, 500 yep. million, negative 4 billion, positive yep. 5 billion, positive 3 billion, negative 500 million, positive 11 billion. So I would much rather buy something that has consistent cash. It doesn't have all this pressure that some country in the Middle East or somewhere in Europe or some world war cuts off supply chains or a pipeline goes in and drops oil prices and all your profits go away. I'm walking. That's very I'm true. Walking, John. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you, man. I'm not, I'm not necessarily a long-term buyer of this because I, I agree. I think there's too much political risk in uh, geopolitical risk um, because right now you've got obviously Democrats in office. They're not very friendly to the oil and gas industry. Uh, but you know, that changes like, you know, the wind, right? So 2022, we've got elections coming up that could change. Um, 2024, that's going to change, obviously. So if you get a more oil and gas friendly administration and, and Congress in there, you're going to have policies that are going to encourage supply and obviously reduce costs or, or bring down um, 
the price of oil. So it's going to hit the margins of these companies. So again, I, I think, I don't know if we're ever going to see a scenario with negative oil again, but you never know. I, uh, I do see the price peaking out in the next maybe year or so, two years, but, uh, and then start to slowly drip down, but I we'll got see. One final stat on this. If you, if you look Throw at a five-year chart of the S&P and its performance, mm -hmm. like it's change in value versus a barrel of crude oil, it's within ten, almost within 10% over a five-year period. So you technically think, Ooh. you know, oil's not moving very much and the S&P is dusting it. You could have, instead of buying the S&P, you could have bought a barrel of oil and buried it in your yard. <laughs> and it would have been <laughs> almost the same as the stock market. So, yeah. All right. That's it, man. My what do you last got? buy, sell, or hold, I'm going to bring up Zillow. Zillow's earnings. Zillow. Crushed it up 12% on the day when the market here is down over 2%. They basically unplugged yeah. that whole iBuy system and kind of went back to their core business. They're yep. trying to be kind of a super app, if you would, for the home. So you find all your decisions. Maybe you can make the purchase through them. You can get pre-approved, get a mortgage. They're just getting out of the owning real estate component. So you don't have that yeah. risk in there. So last one for me is what are your thoughts on Zillow? Finally having a good earnings report. Yeah. I mean, so it wasn't part of that as they were selling, they were getting rid of those homes faster than people expected them to be able to. I think to. they did it in like two quarters and they lost $800 million on that entire project. How do you lose money in a market where homes are just exploding by like 20% a year and you're losing money? on? I don't homes? know if this I, I mean, is I, I true, understand. but I heard they were, they incentivized their salespeople on the number of homes sold. So they were selling them at below okay. cost basically. Oh God. Show gotcha. me the incentives yeah, yeah, and I'll yeah, show yeah. you what's going to happen. Yeah. You know? That's exactly it. Right. How, how do you, incentive drives behavior, right? Yeah, no, that's, that's wild. Um, I like, I mean, I like Zillow. I like Zillow a lot. I think they're, they're a great business. I think it was wise of the team to finally admit that, you know, hey, we screwed the pooch on this one. We, sorry. Either, either we did it wrong. Sorry, guys. We did it wrong. We, uh, or, you know, I, I don't know if they won't. I think they'll come back to this space. I think they've learned valuable lessons. Um, and I think this is something that they could come back to and improve upon how they deal with it. And, um, no, I, I think right now at this price, obviously, it's a uh, it's an attractive stock, and I, I think it's got really good brand recognition, especially with our generation. And it's not going anywhere anytime soon. I mean, shit, it's up like you said over eleven percent today. Um, so no, I, I, I like uh, I like Zillow. I like their long term track, their uh, prospects, and uh, I think the management team had very good foresight to just admit that they messed up, eliminate it, cut the fat. And uh, and move on well, to save the full company. disclosure. I bought before their earnings. I was expecting enough. Ooh, look at you! Yeah, you know, I'm going to take my victory lap right here. You know, pop the collar. Ooh. So, little, little clap, little clap, little clap for Jackie Boy here. Good job, outstanding. Right, which, round of applause. Round us, round us out. All right, <laughs> round us out. All right. Well, uh, the uh, supply chain freeze. Right, we've talked about uh, a little bit this, a little bit of that. Truckers um, blocking highways. We know on. what's up. Truckers, truckers blocking blocking highways. So, what are your thoughts on uh, the honk movement up in Canada? And then, uh, in addition to that, right, there's um, what's going on in China. So, a lot of people don't realize. I'm gonna I'm gonna pause for the, the Canadian trucker thing for a second. 
a lot of people don't realize that Chinese New Year goes to mid-February. I know this because in bridal, a lot of our designers make things in China. You know, they, they, they get a manufactured in China and they ship them over here. So we always, this is a slow time of year for us to get product every year. And people don't realize that in a normal, regularly functioning, non-COVID year, between January, mid-February is it's a challenge for logistics and just shipping things from China. It's things are delayed. They're just, it's slower. Um, it seems as though that, you know, once this, you know, again, once the new year's over, they're a little bit back to work. It seems like they're starting to get away from the zero COVID policy that they were trying to run with. Once the Olympics are gone, what are, what's your, what's your thoughts on the uh, supply chain uh, start to, uh, you know, these hiccups that are in the supply chain to start working themselves out. And, you know, again, obviously that to start giving some positive momentum to prices, et cetera, et cetera. Can I coin a term? I'd love you right. to. You, I've never heard this anywhere <laughs> else. I'm going to use this. I'm going to call it self-inflicted inflation. You like Ooh. that? I like that. So my point is, and I've, I've brought this up multiple times, like the only reason we can't get our F-150s off the airstrip is we don't yep. have the manufacturing chips from the facilities to start the cars. And the reason yep. you're seeing a lot of the current inflation is everyone across the globe that has any authority over people in any country, in any corner of the world, decided to make their own COVID policies and business planning was second. And so you're seeing this now in Canada where Canada is mandating that their truckers get vaccines. There's a large portion of them that don't want to get vaccines. They're, they decided just to leave their trucks wherever they were in the middle of the road, in the middle of a bridge, and mm -hmm. block all sorts mm -hmm. of, of transportation. So Hong Kong. Yeah, Hong Kong. <laughs> so I look at all this and say it's self-inflicted because, I mean, if you look at the, you know, we're kind of biased being in Florida, but if you look at the economy of Florida, it has done nothing but exploded during COVID is mostly because the policies have all been pro business, you know, I guess I want to say like pro enjoyment of life. And so I kind of think I would sell the supply chain stuff. Cause I think once people, you know, all the Omicron numbers are dropping so fast that I think a lot of people are going to focus on, okay, I need to change my original positioning. I need to change what I was telling people to do. Let's open up these ports or let's open up more ports. Let's open up more shipping lanes. Let's get truckers going back. So I'm going to sell it. I'm going to go. This is all self-inflicted inflation, which yep. as, they, as they said in the Bible, this too <clears throat> shall pass. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, well, I agree. Partially. Oh, okay. I think that obviously we're sitting at seven and a half percent and seven and a half percent is not because the truckers on the highway or the Chinese new year. But I do believe that a portion of it is for sure. And uh, when you look, but when you look at it, right? So it's like, okay, so seven and a half percent is obviously not sustainable. And it's unlikely that it will stay there, you know, for any long period of time, right? Because then they're going to really start aggressively going after rates and they're going to have to, um, which may cause us to go, unfortunately, into a recession. We'll see. They're going to have to thread the needle on this one. But I, I believe that what you're going to see is that some of it start to slowly. And this is also why I'm jumping around here a little bit. But I don't think that they're going to raise rates as many times as people believe 
two primary reasons. One, it's an election year and they cannot, the Fed cannot thread the needle. They just, they cannot, they have a terrible track record of it. And if they do too much, they will cause a recession, which is far worse than rising inflation. A recession at the same time when you've got lagging inflation, it's it's just going to be, it's it's terrible. So it won't happen. But the other thing is, I, I agree with you that some of the inflation will start to subside with some of the self-inflicted wounds when they start to go away. But even when those start to go away, it's not seven and a half, maybe it's four and a half, maybe it's four, right? Maybe it's three and three quarters, but that's a lot higher than we've seen. And we're also saying that that's the inflation rate off of the base, right? And the base is already so elevated that prices are a lot higher than they were two years ago or a year yeah. ago. Um, and that's and that's what everybody forgets about. It's like, okay, so if inflation goes from seven and a half down to three, right? That's fine, right? But you're still talking about it's a three off of a higher base number, right? That base number is continuing to go up. And it's going to take a little while before these these uh, price increases start to slow. But I, I, I agree with you partially that it, uh, it's self-inflicted and to a degree. And that when that stuff starts to subside, I believe which is going to start to really work through the system by mid-year. So the second half of the year, I think you're going to really start seeing lower inflation numbers. And that's why second half of the year, I think the Fed takes their foot a little bit off the gas. Um yeah, they start pumping the brakes a little bit, especially heading into the election season. Don't want to lose those votes. Because I'm telling I mean, the Fed is supposed to be apolitical, but we all know it's not. And they are beholden to the market. And if they cause a recession and a massive correction in the market, um, you know, that's not that's not going to be good for anybody. Yep. Well, cool. I think that wraps us up. All Everybody will enjoy the Super Bowl. Hopefully your sports bets paid off and you picked. Rams? Mattress Mac with the bangles over here. Woo -woo. Mattress Mac's going to take one to the chest. Anyways. <laughs> He's taking a lot to the chest. Either way, boys. Cheers. Cheers. And uh, everybody have a good weekend. weekend. Jack and Sean work for Senge Advisory Group, a registered investment advisory firm. All discussions between Jack and Sean or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Senge Advisory Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Senge Advisory Group may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.